Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That is Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. Welcome to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. Today, we will be continuing with my series on the primary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, also known as FASD. Um, We're going to be looking at the characteristic of problems with predicting outcomes. But first, I want to welcome you to February. Can you believe it? How is your winter going? I know for a lot of parts of the country, winter seemed to arrive late, especially here in the Northeast where I live. Um, But I'm recording today from our camp in the Adirondack Mountains of upstate New York. Our camp is only about three hours from home, but it is such a secluded retreat for our family. It's my husband's happy place mine too, really. And especially our 17-year-old son, um, who does have an FASD, is so much more regulated here um, that it's like our preferred place because things just seem a little bit easier and more relaxed when we're up here in this environment. Um, We love board games. And last night, uh, he and I played a game of Monopoly, Um, You know, Monopoly can be such a long game. Like typically we play Yahtzee and we always do like three rounds of Yahtzee. And, you know, that goes by within an hour or less, really. Um, Sometimes we get in a, you know, a mode where we're playing Sorry. These are all games that my son's really good at and and, and enjoys. Um, But Monopoly can just take forever. But he really stuck with it. Any one, like legit one. Um, it was, you know, really a great time of fun and connection. We laughed. We just, you know, kind of, kind of, you know, teased each other a little bit. It was well worth the two hours, um, you know, with with just the laughter and the connection that we made. Even even if he did put me into bankruptcy, right? <laughs> It was an investment in the connection bank anyway. Um, so that was something we were really enjoying. Um, so to pivot over to today's topic, or actually before we get there, um, uh, we do have some important announcements we'd like to share with you. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. 
To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And coming up on, um, goodness, right around the corner, February 10th. So if you're listening to this, it's it's pretty coming up pretty quick. Um, if you're listening to this in real in real time when we drop the episodes, but I have, and we're going to be doing these monthly. Um, they're free. Um, it's a 45-minute lunch and learn introduction to FASD, um, and it's it's 45 minutes of instruction where I'm teaching, and then about 15 minutes where um, I just answer questions. And so it's t- technically it's an hour. It's free. Um, it's just really that introduction into FASD. Um, and I'm offering that on Friday, February 10th at 1 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, and I'm also going to be offering a three-hour deep dive into FASD. So if you've taken the Lunch and Learn, um, then it it's goes a little bit deeper. We spend three hours. I, u- I use the FACETS neurobehavioral model. Um, so that one, the three-hour workshop, is on Wednesday, March 8th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. I'm going to be offering um, the, the free lunch and learns monthly. I'll be adding the three hour. Um, and I also have coming up very soon um, an 18 hour, you know, it's kind of like the deepest deep dive that I offer um, into FASD using the facets neural behavioral model. Um, and, and Really what that looks like online is um, six three-hour sessions. So I'm thinking it will be on Wednesday evenings and it will be six consecutive Wednesday evenings in a row for three hours each time. So we're working on getting that on the calendar. Hopefully we can start that session um, the first of the six by the end of February and bring us through the month of March. Um, So you want to stay tuned um, for, you know, you can stay tuned to this podcast, but you can also always go to our website, which is where you would register for any of these um, online trainings. And uh, that's at uh, our website is justicefororphansny.org. And you would click events if you want to sign up for um, an upcoming workshop or training. Um, the, the Lunch and Learn is free, but you still have to sign up because that's how you get the Zoom link so that you can participate. Um, and if you are interested in having, um, you know, more of a, uh, maybe you have a group at your, uh, you know, a, a um, foster and adoptive parent support group or, um, you know, a church where you've got a bunch of friends and you've all done, you know, adopted and fostered or whatever, um, you know, or, or maybe you want some extra training yourself, you have a core group. Um, or you just want it yourself and you're, you know, maybe you're thinking you need some help with your school district, for example, with your, you know, child and and special ed and whatnot. Whatever you're looking for, if you want something kind of more personalized or you want me to come in person and and teach a workshop to your group, um, all of those things are possible and you would just contact us through the website to set something like that up. Um, So that's where you would go justicefororphansny.org. And I hope that you will sign up. We do provide certificates um, of completion for the Lunch and Learn and for uh, the three hour or any of our training. So if you're a foster parent and you need those continuing credits, you know, um, we provide the certificate so that you'll be able to count it as that. So um, be sure also 
to check out our bonus episodes of this podcast with Dr. Jared Brown. Uh, Dr. Brown specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, and so much more. Um, The series of episodes we're doing with Dr. Brown, we really focus on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents. We dive into the weeds in prenatal trauma, complex trauma, screen time, executive dysfunction, um, working memory, cognitive flexibility, like all of the things. We're doing about 22 or so episodes with Dr. Brown. I think we just only have two or three left in the series to, to yet record. Um, They all land in the same place when you listen to this podcast, once you've subscribed and you just get them all on your device, they all land in the same place. But the episode like you're listening to right now, our regular episodes are released, new, new episodes are released on Mondays. The bonus episodes with Dr. Jared Brown release on Fridays. It's not every single Friday, but many Fridays. So if you haven't caught any of them, you have a whole catalog of them to choose from that are already on there. Um, and then we have some more that we'll be releasing over the next few weeks. Um, So I hope you really, really check those out. They're some of our most popular podcast episodes um, and and we we get a lot of positive feedback. So you won't want to miss those, but you won't want to miss any of our episodes. So make sure you don't by subscribing to this podcast. Also leave a review. um, You know, even if it's just like a five-star review, not that you have to leave a five-star. If you don't think we're five-star, you know, I get that. But um, when you leave a review, when you just, or, you know, just subscribe, then it, helps our podcast to be more easily found by others who are searching for adoption and foster care related podcasts. So please go ahead and do that. I would really, really appreciate it. Um, One of the ways that we equip parents and caregivers um, through our, we do that through our podcast, um, our FASD training and support resources. And, um, you know, while this podcast, The Adoption and Foster Care Journey, is not FASD specific um, because there are some other great shows out there that are just completely devoted to FASD. I listen to those too. Um, But here we also focus on other topics of vital importance to parents and caregivers. But FASD is one of those vital topics. So that's why I talk about it so much. And you know what, even if you if you don't know, or you don't think that FASD applies to your kiddos, um, you know, we still need to know about this. I was 20 years into my adoptive and kinship parenting journey, before I really understood that I needed to be FASD informed and equipped because sometimes we don't know what we don't know. And the more we begin to learn about this, the more we realize, oh, you know, you know what? I think this is going on here. That could very well be the case. And I want you to have the tools you need to stay the course on this pothole ridden road, right? There's ups, there's downs, it's like a roller coaster. And we really need to be equipped for the journey. So maybe you know, or maybe you don't know if your kids were prenatally exposed to alcohol or other drugs. Maybe they are diagnosed with NFASD, or maybe they're not. Um, what? Maybe you've got a pediatrician who said, oh no, it can't be that. I know so many parents whose pediatrician has 
you know, said, that's not a thing, or they have to be diagnosed at birth or, you know, whatever, but we can't count on that as being accurate information because most doctors barely even cover, um, have barely covered FASD um, in their medical school training. And I, you know, learned that directly from um, Dr. Christy Petrenko, who runs the FASD clinic out at the University of Rochester Hospital out there. she said she read maybe a paragraph about prenatal exposure to alcohol in all of her medical school training. So I like always remember that. And then I, um, you know, keep that in the back of my mind when I'm talking with parents and others or even our own doctors or pediatricians and specialists, because I just assume that they have no idea. But because I have over 20 years of lived experience and a whole bunch of training in the more recent years, you know, not that I'm a professional by any stretch of the imagination, but I've got a lot of lived experience and I've learned a lot of stuff. And, you know, when it comes to my own kids, I, you know, can recognize these symptoms in them. And, you know, we need to be able to do that. And when we don't know what we don't know, you know, when we don't know, we haven't been taught that information hasn't been presented to us, um, then it's really hard. Um, And then we go on a journey. We should always, as parents and caregivers of children who've been, who've experienced trauma, who've been prenatally exposed, who've had adverse childhood experiences, we need to always be searching and seeking and reading and studying and finding out everything we can so we can better support them, you know, no matter what the case is. Um, But, you know, regardless, I know when it comes to FASD, if you are a foster or adoptive parent or kinship caregiver, you must, must be FASD informed and equipped. Um, so in, in that's what we're going to try to do here. That's what I've been doing. Um, and in this primary characteristic of FASD series, I highlight one of the primary characteristics of an FASD by describing, you know, the symptoms, kind of explaining what it is, breaking it down, and then giving real life examples of what it looks like, you know, like in everyday life at my house, um, and then kind of share um, some accommodations that we've put into place. And, you know, every individual is different. And just because my kid has, you know, my kid, my two, my two youngest are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome, it's going to present in them maybe a little differently than it's going to present in a child that you're raising. Um, there are a lot of similarities. These primary characteristics, oftentimes, um, you know, kids will have all of those symptoms or many of those symptoms and how they present, you know, might be a little bit different and what works best in accommodating them is certainly going to be different. But to begin to think about their brain and think about their strengths and think about what, you know, works best for them, um, that's something that we always need to be looking toward. And when you know and understand the symptoms and the characteristics of an FASD, we can better support and accommodate our kids. Um, And, you know, I still have two teenagers living home, both of them with fetal alcohol syndrome. So we're living the dream, you know, like every day. So I've got lots of material to share with (laughs) stories and examples. Um, 
and I'll tie some of that in again today. And today is the sixth um, in the primary characteristics series. So if you're new to this podcast, if you didn't happen to catch the other five, I recommend scrolling back through our episode library so you can listen to those first five. I didn't release them in uh, order. Um, I just kind of have fit them in here and there in between. I mean, I love to interview guests on this podcast. Last week, we had my soul sister, my buddy, Natalie Vecchione of FASD Hope. She and I did an episode together. So sometimes we have guests. um, And then sometimes I teach, you know, and and, and bring you some material um, just myself. So this series with the primary characteristics of FASD, it's just me teaching on that. Um, So they're kind of peppered throughout um, the the episode releases. So um, you can go back and check out those. There's, this is, this one today is number six. So the primary characteristics of FASD are, and I'm going to give the list of all of them and then zero in on the one we're going to focus on today. So the primary characteristics are dismaturity, and that is when the individual behaves, their uh, behaves much younger than their biological age. Um, impulsivity, difficulty with abstract thoughts like managing time and money, sensory processing, uh, difficulty with cause and effect, executive dysfunction, speech and language problems, slower processing pace memory problems, difficulty predicting, difficulty generalizing, problems with organizing and planning, perseveration and problems transitioning from one task or activity to the next, um, and strengths. And I know with facets, strengths is a primary characteristic because our kids have strengths, things that they're very, very, very good at that really stand out. They have like so many deficits, it seems, but yet they have some strengths that are beautiful, um, you know, creative. There's a whole, we're going to do a whole episode on that because it's so important, but that is counted as one of the primary characteristics. Today, we are focusing on the individual's difficulty with predicting outcomes. And I'd love to start by reading a section uh, on this topic out of the book, Trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane Melvin. I highly recommend this little purple book. Um, I believe every foster and adoptive and kinship caregiver should have a copy or read Trying Differently Rather Than Harder, whether or not your kid has a diagnosis with an FASD, whether or not you know if that's even the case, whether or not you know if mom, you know, the birth mom drank or not or whatever, um, you know, even if your pediatrician said, no, that's not it, um, get a copy of this book and it will be a game changer. Um, Diane Melbin um, is a you know, has a master's degree in social work. She wrote the book and she's also the one who developed the facets neural behavioral model, which I am now a certified facilitator of. So it is, it is um, vital. It's, it's the best, the best training that you're going to get. So I recommend starting with this little purple book. I'm going to open it up and read a little, little section of it so we can focus on our topic about difficulty predicting, seeing what comes next. Um, so let me read. 
Uh, it says, an often told story that captures what it means to not be able to predict was told by a father in Nome, Alaska. One snowy day, he went to watch his daughter sledding. He stood on a corner at the bottom of a hill and could see his daughter preparing to sled down the hill. From where he was standing, he could also see a semi-truck approaching that was going to cross the sledding road. Okay, he waved to her to get her attention. She looked at him and pointed to the approaching truck. She looked at the truck. She looked back at him, smiled, waved, and zoomed down the hill. She passed underneath the truck as it went by between the front and rear wheels. Can you imagine like the heart attack the dad was having? She went right under the truck. As soon as dad could speak, he said, didn't you see the truck? And she said, yes, but I didn't know it was going to go there. Like she did not predict that that's where the truck was going to go, so she therefore shouldn't sled. She should wait until the truck goes by, because if she goes now, she could run into the truck or go under the truck. Miraculously, she was not hurt. You know, again, continuing to read, again, it is hard to imagine what it would be like to have a brain which causes a person to literally be unable to see what is happening next or to predict what could happen next. And that is just one example. Um, it's, and it's a scary example, right? I have one of my own. Thankfully, it didn't, you know, wasn't as close of a call as that one. But last summer, um, my son, who was 16 at the time, you know, donned his uh, bike helmet and said he was going to go ride his bike. And we live at home in a very rural area and we live on a dead end road. And I praised him for remembering the bike helmet. Like that was a huge, a huge win. Um, so I, you know, he went on down the road and I got on a Zoom call that I needed to get on. And about an hour later, he came in uh, red in the face. It was a hot, it was like 90 degrees out that day. It was hot. So I commented like, whoa, your face is all red. It's really hot out there. And then he turned around and said, I got to tell you something. I rode my bike to the library. And I was like in shock because you know, like I said, we live in a rural area. The library is in town, a little over two miles away from our house. He has never ridden his bike anywhere but our dead end road. I never would have even thought that he would do something like that, you know, but with an FASD, who knows, right? Early that morning, I had been reading a story to him. We were discussing this story that we had to read. He had to read for school. Um, and in the story, some kids did get on their bikes and ride to the library to look up information. So I'm pretty sure somehow that planted a seed in his mind. And because of his impulsivity, which 
is also a primary characteristic of FASD. He just decided he was going to go do that. He also didn't think through the dangers of riding a bike to town in 90 degree heat, crossing a five red light intersection. It's like the busiest intersection in our whole town. There's literally five red lights and roads intersect everywhere, tractor trailers, all kinds of stuff. Um, He'd never ridden to town before, never had even walked through that intersection before. We've only driven through it in our car, right? Um, He'd never, he also never planned for what he was going to do when he got there. He just had this impulsive, I'm going to do this. Um, And he did it. And, you know, I just stood there with my mouth wide open that he had done it and he had, you know, he came back alive, but I was just shocked. This is a kid who doesn't even like to read books. Like reading is very hard for him because he's got some visual challenges and he can read, he can see the words on the paper and he's had vision therapy to help him with tracking and whatnot. But let's just say reading is one of his least favorite things to do. So it didn't make really any sense that he would pick the library of all places to go to. I'm grateful that he did, that that was the place he decided to go to because it was relatively safe compared to like any number of other places he might have decided to ride his bike to. But he like... If he had not come home, if I would have realized he was missing, the library is one of the last places I would have ever thought he would have been. I had no idea he'd even left our road. Like, no idea. It was scary. And, you know, my 17-year-old with fetal alcohol syndrome could not predict the possible dangers involved in riding his bike two miles one way in 90-degree heat through the dangerous intersection without his parents or anyone even knowing where he was. He had no ID on him, no cell phone. He wasn't, you know, he didn't have a cell phone at the time, you know, and it just was shocking in so many ways to me. And in all fairness, I didn't predict that he would ever think to do such a thing, but he did. And thankfully he came home safely. In fact, While I was standing there with my mouth wide open trying to process what happened, he reported that he came home because the lady at the library said he needed to lock his bike up in the bike rack, only he didn't have a lock for his bike. So he basically rode home to ask me if we could go on to Amazon and order him up a bike lock. Like it it was completely like detached from the fact that he might have done something wrong or it wasn't safe or any of that. He was just impulsively went, realized he would need a bike ra- bike lock. So then he came home and, you know, now let's order up this bike lock. I mean, it was just crazy. Individuals with FASD are so vulnerable to dangers that they cannot anticipate, you know, and this is like, For our kids, it's like the dangers on the internet. The internet is also this kind of abstract thing. And we talked last time about how they have a hard time with abstract reasoning. They need very concrete things, but they can't anticipate or predict that there would be dangerous people out there on the internet, especially since they don't even see real people 
most of the time, right? So the internet is a very dangerous place for these kids because they can't predict that, that it could be dangerous. My son didn't or couldn't predict that if I ride in this heat, I could get overheated and exhausted. Uh, He didn't have a water bottle, like he didn't think to bring a water bottle or anything like that. He didn't um, predict that that intersection could be dangerous. How am I going to handle that? He didn't predict, you know, that he had no idea that a bike lock and locking your bike up once you got to the library would even be a thing. He didn't predict you know, what could happen if he got hit by a car in that intersection? He had no ID, no cell phone. I wouldn't have known he was missing. Nobody would have known, you know, who to contact. You know, he, he could not predict all of those possible negative outcomes. His brain just doesn't work that way. And our kids are so vulnerable to dangers that they cannot anticipate or predict. And You know, I regret that I used to say to one of my kids a long time ago, back in the day, you know, this kid was never diagnosed with an FASD. I didn't even know about FASD or trauma or anything back then. Um, They were probably were or are on the spectrum. But, you know, when this kiddo would do something, you know, like that or, or something else, I would say, what were you thinking? You know, and now I just feel so terrible because, you know, I know it's not that they were or were not thinking, it's that their brain works differently. Prenatal exposure to alcohol alters the structure and the function of the brain, often making predicting outcomes something they have a struggle with or sometimes just can't do. You know, and I'm sure you have stories like this that you could even tell me, and I could probably come up with countless more stories. But, you know, coming to understand that, you know, and I remember years ago being in a um, Empowered to Connect conference and and the late, great Dr. Karen Purvis, I remember her saying, um, you know, if you find yourself telling a kid, what were you thinking? You have a kid who has a trauma history, right? And, you know, the kiddo that I just alluded to that I said years ago when we didn't know anything and I used to say that to them all the time, you know, number one, I didn't know that they did have a trauma history. I knew a little bit about their history but didn't know like to put it in, you know, the the, the tr- under the trauma definition, the trauma umbrella and prenatal exposure to alcohol is trauma that occurred in the womb. So I didn't I didn't know any of that. And, you know, that's just so really degrading to an individual with a trauma history, including an FASD, because, you know, it's not that they weren't thinking, it's that they think differently. Their brain is different. They're neurodivergent, okay? They they just think differently. So when we can come to grips as a parent or a caregiver to understand and think brain and stop and think if that has something to do with the behavior or the situation that you're dealing with, you know, what do we do? You know, what do we do to keep our kids safe if they are unable to predict dangerous outcomes or unsafe outcomes? You know, the kind of like, if I do this, it might not be a good idea because then this could happen. Our kids don't have 
often don't have the capability to think that process through like that. So what do we do? Well, we have to make a plan to provide safety and prevent disaster. It is up to us. It is up to us. It is up to us. (laughs) And it is up to anybody else working with our kids, whether it be at school or whether it be out in the community and as they get older and, you know, depending where they are on the FASD spectrum, because it's a spectrum, it will depend. You know, I have one kiddo who, you know, the one that went on that bike ride, you know, we're not thinking he'll ever be able to actually have a driver's license. He can drive many things from four wheelers to dirt bikes to a golf cart. Um, He can move his dad's truck around our driveway if dad tells him to move it. However, he doesn't have the ability to make a wise decision about where to go. And this predicting outcomes challenge is, is part of that, you know, um, that's, you know, that's, and we have to anticipate that driving might not be safe, the safest thing for him or for other people right around him. But I have another one on the spectrum who does drive and he does pretty well with that. Early on, we did discover he was making unsafe choices about where to go. Thankfully, now he's, um, I've, talked on this podcast before. He's a member of our volunteer fire company, which is wonderful. I will tell you that, um, you know, there is a lot of drinking of alcohol that goes on in, you know, in the firehouse in, I think, you know, in that environment, not while they're fighting fires, but socially. Um, But we've actually made it clear to those folks that are also in the firehouse and are interacting with our son. They understand he has a disability. He understand because we've made it our business to teach them that this is the disability. This is how it presents. And also because he was prenatally exposed, he's sort of um, susceptible to addiction. He's predisposed to alcohol addiction. So even when he turns 21, which is the legal drinking age in New York state, even when he turns 21, he should never touch a drop of alcohol. We talk to him about that all of the time. Um, And of course they only let him have soda at their events, but it's still, we have to plan and we have to predict as parents that this could be something that's gonna come up in the future. And we want to be proactive in how we handle it to avoid problems like that in the future. Now, my, you know, he, he is 19, he has a free will, he could do what he wants to do, but we're gonna do our part as parents um, in every way to plan and to prevent um, negative outcomes. And that's, you know, as, as parents and caregivers, we need to predict and anticipate what our kids might do and plan accordingly. By anticipating possible problems and planning for them, we could possibly prevent disasters. Okay, like we can't prevent everything. We can't micromanage everything, but, um, you know, and we can't control everything. But when you have a child with a brain-based physical disability, like FASD, then we do have to 
not only plan and predict and prepare ourselves as parents, but we have to also advocate for that same kind of thing wherever our child might be, at work, at school, you know, wherever they may go, um, and, and anticipate that they, you know, we know that they're having a hard, that they have a hard time predicting outcomes and making wise choices that are safe because they can't take into consideration everything that, you know, we, we would want them to be able to take into consideration. For the little girl in the story that I read from the from the Trying Differently Rather Than Harder book, um, the book actually recommended that a way to prevent a problem in the future would be to provide a spotter. So someone at the bottom of the hill, at the top of the hill, you know, maybe in the middle or wherever. So that way, you know, if they see a car coming or a semi truck in this case, they could alert her to stop. Hand signals would be another thing. A hand signal for stop, a hand signal for go, and and to train her to look, you know, at the adult at the bottom of the hill, you know, for the hand signal. So that way, you know, not just assume, oh, she sees the truck, therefore she won't go, right? Because that didn't work, but to actually teach the hand signal stop because when the dad at the bottom of the hill saw the truck, he could tell her to stop, right? So it's that kind of having a plan, teaching the plan, whatever processes we need to have in place to prevent, you know, possible disaster, right? That is that is um, seriously part of part of this. Um, and now for my son, what we did for him, you know, after his riding his bike to the library adventure. First, of course, we had a discussion about why it was not safe for him to have done that. But of course, due to memory problems associated with FASD, we didn't really expect him to always remember. It's not like you can give one instruction and they remember it forever and always. Um, That's most likely not going to happen. So even though, you know, we taught him this was not safe, we discussed it, um, you know, set some rules about that. Um, We don't assume he'll always remember. So we have to have some plans in place and we review the rules on a regular basis, you know, so there's lots of repetition. But uh, we also, since then, provided him with a cell phone. Um, It has major restrictions on it because, um, you know, these kids can, you know, maybe not be able to do lots of things and have challenges and lots of things, but they somehow miraculously are able to find porn on the internet. And, you know, just a side note with that, if your child has a device and if they have access to Instagram, they have access to porn. If they can watch YouTube videos, they can watch porn on YouTube. And we tried to um, remove YouTube from our son's phone and it would still pop up in various places that he could access. Like it was virtually impossible. If you know how to do it, let me know. But we tried everything. So all our solution to that when we felt like we couldn't get rid of it was to actually set the screen time settings down to where he could have like one minute of YouTube and then it would shut off. So therefore he couldn't just watch because he loves to watch YouTube videos to learn all kinds of wonderful things. But if your kids can take the device into their room or into the bathroom or into some place where there isn't an adult, they will go from, you know, watching videos about, you know, how to raise chickens in the backyard to porn. And we also have another um, safety feature on um, our boys' devices that um, 
that they can't use like Google or Safari. Um, it's called Covenant Eyes and it prevents them from going to pornographic websites. But I will tell you this, because I get a report every week with uh, like, it sends me screenshots of all the things and places that they searched. I do have a kid who was able to actually search for something that didn't, you know, it was very interesting. I don't want to say what it is on here right now, but <laughs> I may bring it up if you're part of our um, support group. But he searched for something and got pictures of it. It was like, I'll, I'll, well, I'll, I can put it this way. Um, girls going to the bathroom. So then I had all these screenshots I got to look at of, you know, female females sitting on toilets. Like, really? It's like, <laughs> that's how he like worked his way around it. So, um, you know, um, j- just forewarning, you know, if you can keep your kids away from having cell phones and access to technology for as long as possible, um, I highly recommend it because once they have access to it, it is a fight, um, not just with their kids, but it's like a fight with the enemy because that is one way the enemy penetrates the lives of our kids is through that, you know, the social media stuff, the internet stuff, you got to be careful. So, it's, it's a constant checking it and keeping an eye on them and setting very strict rules. But this way now he has a device. So if he were to end up out in the community, if he had it that day that he went on the bike ride, you know, he could have texted me if there was a problem or called me if there was a problem, something like that. ID is another thing that we now provide, um, you know, so that way there's an ID. And, and my friend Natalie Vecchione um, had told me about getting, um, there's a special ID card that she had found that you could fill in their information with some, you can list on the back of it and you can laminate it, but list on the back of it, like I have a disability. These are some of the things. This is my emergency contact person. Um, I also know now that pretty popular in the special needs community are the sunflower lanyards. So you could um, use that ID card, put it on the lanyard, and then like wherever they go out in the community, they could have that, um, you know, maybe wear that around their neck. I have one kid that probably would do it, and I have another kid that would be like, no way am I wearing that. But it depends on the kid, depends on what's going on. But there are things that you can do um, to at least begin, you know, to provide um, some some safety measures. So that was some of the, the stuff, um, you know, that, that we did. Um, another thing that, you know, we also know is our son cannot be left home alone, um, or be out in the community alone. He does not have the capability to navigate on his own without the supports. Um, he can't make those wise choices that will keep him safe because he can't predict the dangers that could happen if he wasn't safe. Um, so we don't leave him home alone. We make sure he has a family member with him or another support person with him, whether we're, it's at home or out in the community. And honestly, it's exhausting for my husband and I, um, but our son's safety and the safety of others is our top priority. We teach and reteach safety constantly, and we're always on the lookout for possible dangers. Um, you know, our son is very very impressionable, which is very, very scary. And as parents and caregivers, we must think brain. Our kids may have a brain-based physical disability, so therefore we must anticipate the dangers out there, plan for them by teaching them and preventing problems whenever possible. 
We're not perfect. I'm not a perfect parent. I've made lots of mistakes. I still make mistakes. I will make mistakes. But planning, prevention, and protection are actually accommodations we must make to keep our kids safe and hopefully teach them to make safe choices on their own eventually. But again, FASD impacts the structure and function of the brain, and individuals with an FASD have difficulty predicting outcomes. So we, as their caregivers, must predict what they can't and implement a safety plan on their behalf. So there you have it, predicting outcomes, very, very difficult for these kiddos. Thank you for listening to the adoption and foster care journey. And I do hope you feel encouraged and better equipped for your parenting journey today. Um, Our next two episodes, I will have a couple of uh, inspiring and informative guests. I have uh, Rita Sorensen from Wendy's Wonderful Kids will be on to talk about some great post-adoption resources. Um, and also Dr. Douglas Waite. He is um, a, an FASD expert based out of New York City. Um, he will be on. And then um, after those two episodes, I will then return um, to this series and bring you um, the next primary characteristic on our list, and that is sensory processing challenges. So I hope you'll check that out. And I hope you remember for guidance on your journey, be sure to go to our website, justicefororphansny.org, for resources such as our Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community, our Intro to FASD Lunch and Learns, and our Deep Dive Workshops, Deep Diving into FASD uh, using the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model. Again, for details, for registration, for any of the above things we mentioned, go to our website, justicefororphansny.org. I'd also like to give, before we go, a shout out to our business sponsors who help us do what we do, like this podcast, like Care Portal. Um, You can follow JFO on social media or go to our website to see all the things that we do. But we are grateful for businesses such as Tri-Nuclear Corporation, Bishop Boundary Construction, National Bank of Cooksaki, and Cullman Insurance. And if you enjoyed today's show, again, make sure you subscribe and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so they can be encouraged and equipped too. Find and follow Justice for Orphans on both Facebook and Instagram. And me, I, Sandra Flack, I'm in, on both platforms as well. Go ahead and friend me. I'd love to um, you know, can be connected with you there. So follow, follow me there. And you know, I am as always grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.